It is fantastic to be here. It really is. It's such a treat for us. And um, wow, what a legacy. Well, um, Chris has said most of what I was going to say. (laughs) But I'm just up here just to say um, thank you to Chris and Fliss. Uh, You've been wonderful friends over the years. It's been such fun doing this together. And uh, you've stood by us through thick and thin. And, uh, you know, I hope the... That that's returned at, in various points as well, but you've had wonderful leaders here, and I know you know that. Um, and we are also honoured to be your friends, and thank you for everything you have meant to us and for all that you've done for the kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, darling, for saying that. I, I mean, I've got one other little... Um, memory, a little cameo that came to mind. Chris, you may remember we um, joined John Wimber on um, a trip, a conference in Holland, I believe it was. And I think we must have taken little teams with us and did satellites afterwards and so on. But I've got this picture in my mind, a memory from that conference. Um, And I remember after John had taught one evening, he did the call for ministry. And there was a kind of an urgency in his spirit, an urgency in his voice. He was basically saying to the people, for whom it was fairly new in Holland at that time, he said, if you want, you know, if you want something of the living God, come down here, get down here. And, pre- and pretty much nobody moved. But the one person that I remember, this is such a clear picture in my mind, is Chris from the back, wherever he was sitting, striding down his long legs, just, he's the first to the front, first to the front. And I tell you, there is something actually amazingly in my spirit moving about that, that there has always been in you guys a passion for God, a sense of urgency about reaching out and receiving the amazing thing, if we can but believe it, that God wants to do for us and through us. And I just, I just loved that, that sense of, I'm just gonna get down there as quickly as I can. Now, I think that is part of the legacy that you as a church community are celebrating over this month and, and beyond. Um, what an amazing thing God has allowed Chris and Fliss to do and through the leaders and teams that they have had down over those 30 years. And, and for Lulu and myself, being here again this morning, I was just walking around during communion, just absorbing it all. What, what a precious place. What a wonderful thing God has, has done. And it's absolutely right that you celebrate and thank God and Chris and Fliss for this amazing um, legacy that, that there is. But you know, this morning, and it comes a little bit out of, on the back of that memory in Holland of Chris's you know, love for the Lord and wanting everything that he had. I think the question that I want to, us to think about this morning as we think about legacy is going on beyond that into the now, what legacy are you creating now, going forward? What's that legacy going to look like? You know, at the beginning of the summer, I sensed the Lord, uh, for me personally, just prompting me, getting my attention. 
And I felt him saying, Rick, I want you to go back and to look again at the secret of my life. The secret of Jesus' life actually finds everything that it, it was about his life in that relationship that he had with his father. The quality of the relationship that he had with his father, the intimacy that was there. That on the basis of that relationship, all of his words came, all of his works came, all of his ways came, the way that he treated people, the way that he went into this world and did what he did. And so I knew where to turn to. I wanted to turn to John's gospel. And over the last three or so months, I have just been slowly meditating again, going through, you know, verse by verse, John's gospel, marking and underlining everything that might have any possible connection with this secret of Jesus' life, this wonderful relationship that he had with his father. And um, it's just everywhere in John's gospel, as you probably know. And, uh, but the real knockout punch comes later in John's gospel, towards the end of John's gospel, when Jesus says, in effect, to his disciples, do you know the secret of my life, the relationship that I have with my Father, this quality relationship, I am now offering you the same relationship that I myself had. And he says it in a very explicit way. A very explicit way. I, um, I, I believe that it is this secret of Jesus' life, the relationship that he had with his father, that is the means by which, the only means in fact, by which we all will create a fruitful legacy. It's the only means by which we can do it. It can't happen any other way other than us discovering and going deeper in this wonderful secret that Jesus wants to present to us. I, I feel that um, this truth is probably expressed most visually in the parable of the vine. And so I just have my text this morning is just one verse. It's John chapter 15 and verse five. And we read this there, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, anyone who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's just an extraordinary picture that we're given there of this connection that Jesus uses, this almost prophetic parable of this secret of his life, which he is now talking about in terms of us. We the branches, he the vine. A absolutely wonderful connection. And I want to ask you this morning the question that I've been asking myself over these past months as I've been looking again at this. And I want to ask you, how is your connection with Jesus? How do you feel it is? Do you feel it is tip-top, that it's a real quality connection? Maybe you feel, as I ask that, if, if you're honest, because I certainly have felt like this, a little bit daunted 
in asking ourselves that question. A bit daunted to say, goodness, I mean, I could never give the time or the effort required to have that kind of relationship that Jesus had with his father. I'm a busy person, I've got this responsibility, I'm running here, there, and everywhere. That could just ne never happen. And so there's a sense in which you feel a little bit daunted by the question. I could identify with that if that is your response. Maybe you feel a little bit wistful as you think about that. Because there have been times in your life where there has been just the wonder of knowing that closeness, that connection, that intimacy, the joy of that but actually it's all too fleeting. It seems a little bit elusive and it can feel as though it is a little bit like sand that then just slips through your fingers and, and then it's gone. I mean, if you can identify with either of those responses at some level, um, let me share one of the primary things that I've been discovering over the last couple of months is that this relationship that we're talking about this morning is for the weak and not the strong. And do you know why that is? It's because right at the heart of it, it is not our work to do. We cannot bring this about by our work. Do you know it is Jesus' work in us? And if we have any work to do in this process, it is simply consenting to allow him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to work in us. And our response to, again, looking at this and reveling in this and, and saying, could this possibly be true? Could this possibly be true? Is not to strive, is not to work, but it is to yield. It is to rest. It is to wait and to begin to experience again the reviving of that wonderful connection, wonderful connection. I want to share just from this one verse um, three vital things about this incredible relationship that followers of Jesus are being offered. They all just flow from this this one verse. The first is that we are being offered a relationship which has a godlike union. It has a godlike union. Just look at that first bit of the verse where it says, Jesus says these words, I am the vine. He uses the very name of God, that very ancient name of God. He says, I am. I am the great I am. He's underlining again that he is God. He's the son of God who is saying this. So God is saying in Jesus, I am the vine. You are the branches. He's giving this amazing pictorial um, picture of of this relationship which, which he is offering to us. Branches connected into a vine. And he's saying that in that picture, I want you to understand I'm offering you to be one with God. One with God. Now, how do we get our heads around that? 
He's talking about a union which is similar to the sort of oneness and union that the Godhead experience in the Trinity, the Father with the Son, the Son with the Holy Spirit. They are absolutely one and yet they are distinct. Three persons in one God. He's inviting us into this God-like union to be one with God. Now, why would God do that? Why would God share oneness with us? I've been trying to think about this. I mean, it is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Why would God do that? I mean, the creator of the universe, the creator of eight billion galaxies, why would he say to his creatures, those whom he's made in the image of God, why would he say to us, I want you to be one with me, who is God, the creator, creatures with the creator. I mean, it is an extraordinary thing. We, we, it, it, you know, it, it's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. But we know that wrapped up in the reason, everything in the story of God in the Bible screams this at us, is that it is because God loves us. He loves us in a way which is, is vast. So absolutely vast. I guess, I guess in our humanity, in our weakness, in our humanity, the closest way we can get to understand this at a human level is to think about marriage. It's kind of what happens there when two people become one. And there's something in very, very exclusive about that being made one with one another. I mean, in the old um, marriage service, it it says, uh, it's got those lines, and forsaking all others. So that when, you know, I trundled down the, um, you know, was saying my vows to Lulu's 37 years ago, and there was, we had the old service, and forsaking all others, you know, I had to be thinking in my, my mind and forsaking Jane and Rebecca and, you know, all the, uh, uh, and to be faithful, only to Lulu. There's a sense in which that's exactly what God is saying too. No other gods but me, because that's the only way we can be one. If there's someone else, we're not one. And that's what God says to us as as well in this. And see, coming back to this picture, this prophetic picture of the vine and the branches, the union of the vine and the branches, as you picture that, picture a vine, it's so organic, it's cellular, the, the, the whole thing is just together, it's a living organism, it's a whole entity, it's just one thing that is there that operates and lives together. It seems that our union with Father, Son and Holy Spirit is God's highest redeeming object. He does all that we've been celebrating this morning in communion and so, so that we can be one with him and have this relationship which Jesus enjoyed. And you know, in in this gospel, we have Jesus using the very language that he's used to describe his relationship with his father. The previous chapter, chapter 14 and verse 10 is a good example where he says, I am in the father and the father is in me. That's how close it is. And here, In this parable, he's saying, now I want you to be in me and I am going to be in you. 
the branch in the vine, the vine in the branch. This is an extraordinary relationship. I sort of feel, as I'm talking about bits of it sometimes and been thinking about it over these years, that I'm sort of stepping out onto holy ground. Can we really believe the full measure of what Jesus is saying to us here? You know, we are being offered a relationship, and I'm trying to use my words carefully here, that largely knows only the limits that we ourselves choose to put on it. A God-like union that we are being offered with Jesus. The second thing from this great verse is we're being offered a relationship um, and I've called this that has a cruciform connection tying in with what we've just celebrated at the cross. And the next bit of the verse goes on to say, if a person remains in me, Jesus speaking, if a person remains in me and I in them. Now to understand this point, we've got to appreciate the context of when Jesus taught this wonderful truth. It comes in what is known as the farewell discourse, where John in his gospel gathers together that last body of teaching of Jesus from chapter 13 right the way through to 17. Wonderful, rich teaching. And this parable of the vine is right in the center of it all in that last body. And he, he sets that all at the Last Supper. And when he finishes this whole body of teaching, they leave and they go to Gethsemane. So the next day after he said this, he's going to the cross. He's going to Calvary. And he's saying here to his disciples, you want this relationship, you have to remain with me where I'm going, where I'm going. Do you know, I, I tend to think anyway that as I think about this, being invited into this relationship and of, of abiding in Jesus and being connected to him, my mind immediately goes to being connected with him in his life. And I picture his earthly life. What a great thing it is just to be so close to him, walking the dusty roads with Jesus, sitting around a table with people and hearing the conversation and the, the events that happen, seeing him, being right with him as he heals somebody, as there is this release of mercy and compassion upon a person and absorbing all of this and just being part of it, just a wonderful thing. But what he seems to be saying here. He now seems to be saying, yes, absolutely, be one with me in my life. But he also says, it's the person who re remains in me as I step forward over the next 24 hours and beyond into my death. Think about a way a branch, a cutting, might be grafted into a vine. We know the way that it happens. It requires that the vine is cut. A cut is made in the vine. The vine needs to be wounded. And then the cutting, the branch, is placed into that cut 
and it's made secure, it's bound. So that the sap from the vine, though all the life that's in the vine can begin flowing into that cutting, can begin flowing into that branch. Do you know, as at the cross, when Jesus was wounded there, when he was cut, as it were, there, he was wounded for our transgressions, remember that? He paid the price of that. There we get, there is a place being made for us which is of the closest connection to Jesus. We're being bound to his death as well. Not in any sense to pay for our sin, we can't do that. But that we are being connected with him so that the things in our lives that prevent us from fully experiencing the life that he wants to give us, so that certain things can die in us, so that the full measure of his life can come forward in us. The wounds of his death prepare the place where we could be grafted in and have this closest of connections with him. Do you remember the way that Paul writing in Galatians said, I have been crucified with Christ. I was bound together with Christ. I've been crucified with him. I live, but it's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me. It happens through this grafting to the cross. And then in another place, he goes on to talk about there is a fellowship between, do you know, our sufferings in this life and the sufferings of Christ. A fellowship, we, we're invited to share a fellowship with Jesus in those sufferings. You know, I think, what does that mean? Every, every time we, with God's help, resist temptation in our life, do you know we're kind of sharing our suffering in the process of doing that, of saying no to self and yes to God and his life and him helping us to do that. Every time we take those steps of allowing his nature to flow into us, you know, the sap coming from the vine, all that's pure and holy and good and powerful, allow that to be flow into us and to overcome what is naturally there in my flesh or, or you know, some oppression from the enemy or whatever else it must be, we're allowing him to bring something more of that Jesusness into our lives. What a wonderful thing that that is. Do you know our house where we live in Teddington, um, we live right across the road from a church building and a traditional church building. And one of the joys is that every morning when I open our bedroom curtains, the first thing I, I do is look up and I look at the cross on the top of this church. And I have just felt God saying over and over and over again, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. It's there where power and freedom come from. It's there where we can become partakers of the full power and victory of his death as well as his life. Being bound, grafted in to the cross. 
And then the third thing, the final thing that I wanted to share from this verse is that we see that this relationship, a God-like union, a cruciform connection, but it's also a fruitful partnership, a fruitful partnership where this legacy that we long for, how that can come. The verse goes on, and those who do remain in him, they will bear much fruit. They will bear much fruit. There's a clear partnership here, isn't there, in this image that Jesus uses. Without the vine, the branches, you know, just can't live. They can't exist. They will just wither. They will die. They, 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 there's no way, if they're cut off from the source, that they can, they can have any life whatsoever. But here's the thing. It's also true that... The vine without branches can produce no fruit. I, now, I say this is part of the holy ground. What extraordinary humility there is in God's heart to let that be the way that he chooses things to be in this world that he chooses to release his fruit now to this world, to this incredibly world, through the branches. Fruit on a vine only comes on the branches. It doesn't come out of the, the, the stump, as it were, of the vine itself. It needs branches that go out, and the fruit is on that. And Jesus is saying that only, that's the fruit, that I am going to give to the world is the fruit that comes through the branches, my people throughout, throughout the world. Do you know, it's an extraordinary thing. And I love the way that Jesus says here, and do you know, if this relationship is embraced, if this connection is embraced, you know, the much fruit, there is going to be much fruit. We have an apple tree in our back garden. And this, is, this has been, I, I think, I read in the paper yesterday, actually, it's been a great year evidently for fruit-bearing trees. But, um, but this tree, I mean, has been laden. It has been groaning with, with fruit this year. There has just been so much of it there. The branches have been bending. There have been masses and masses. And, and um, you know, we have picked and picked and picked these. I mean, we have had... Do you know, we've given away apples. Do you like apples? No, not particularly. Have them anyway. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we, there, there has been apple crumble. There has been apple jelly. There has been apple juice. There, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, apples, apples, apples. Abundant fruit. That's the picture that Jesus is using here. Absolutely bending branches with, with this, this fruit. And I just love this picture, this picture that we've been thinking about of the vine and the branches, Jesus and our, ourselves. We've been seeing that this is something that he says, remain, remain with me, yes, in my life, yes, in my death, but also remain with me where I am now. Where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. Re remain with me in my ascension. So what that means is that the vine and its roots is in heaven. The branches, you and I, 
are on the earth. This is the way that God has planned it. So we are able in being connected to him to bring the fruit of heaven into this world, into every place where God chooses to take us into our homes, into our communities, into our hospitals, into our schools, into our businesses, everywhere where this connection is allowed to exist, the fruit of heaven can flow. Then something of the nature of God himself can flow into those places. The culture of heaven, the way that things get done in heaven can flow into these places in, in the earth. You know, being fruit bearers for God in every place where he takes us. Let me just finish with this. I felt the Lord gave me a picture during the week for you. And as always with these things, you need to weigh it. You need to check it out with God, with one another. But the picture was of a fruit tree being shaken a fruit tree being shaken. And God was doing the shaking. Now I, I know that when our lives feel that they are being shaken, that it's not necessarily a pleasant experience. Because the things that tend to shake our life are the circumstances of life, certain events in our lives. And those things don't always come ordained directly from God. But the, here's, here's the thing, God will use every one of them for those that love him. Every one of them he will use. And what I sensed God doing in shaking the tree is that he was shaking the tree for the purpose of releasing fruit to the world. Good fruit to the world. Just making it available just as a tree gets shaken, that the good fruit is being offered to people. I see that in your church community, that God is doing that as you step forward into, into the excitement of the future that God has. Shaking the tree. But you know, another thing comes about through the shaking of a tree that the Lord showed me. He showed me that also it is a way of him helping us helping you here to distinguish between different kinds of fruit. Because the truth is that in all of our lives, we have good fruit and there's fruit that's not so good. And one of the things that the shaking does, that I felt the Lord say, was that there is, there is fruit that when the tree is shaken that is not so good, we must, you must let fall to the ground. And you must not go back, you must not pick it up, you not, must not play with it, you must not look at it, you must not think about it, you must let it fall to the ground, turn your back on it and walk away from it. And there is masses of other fruit, good fruit, which is also falling as the tree is shaken, which you're running around, you know, catching, catching. You're also picking ripe fruit off the tree and the Lord is saying, you must, it's like a good rugby pass, it must just, it, it, it just touches your hands for, for just a second and, it, and it's on to the next person. And you must pass it on immediately, the good fruit that you catch, 
that you pick. You must give it immediately. Give it to somebody who needs it. Immediately. Immediately. Whoever that might be. Wherever God takes you through the course of every day of your life, just give the good fruit away. Give the fruit of heaven away that is representative of the culture of heaven, the nature of God, his love in the world. Amen. Can I invite you to stand? I'd love to pray. Let me invite God's spirit to come. He's here. The Lord is here. Lord Jesus, heavenly Father, loving Father, always near. Lord Jesus, the true vine, Holy Spirit, that artesian well bubbling up within us. We come, we stand in your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, draw near to us. The things that you have been speaking into our hearts, into our minds, Lord, would you, would you just illuminate those now? We just wait, Lord, on you. I want to thank you, Lord, as we do that, that this is, this is not a work which we do, but it is a consenting to let you work and do something for us. It's for the weak. Draw near, Lord. Draw near with your great love. Draw near into the things that we scarcely dare believe could be possible. 